Welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this episode of the podcast number 236. I mean, they, they have tanks inside the country. They have cities, key cities surrounded. So, you know, in that regard, how much uh, impact is cyber going to make and what's the, you know, the risk reward for them, you know, using new novel things that they haven't uh, and that they don't need to. Even before Russian bombs and missiles started dropping on Kiev and other cities, on February 24th, Ukraine's government was working to beat back attacks on critical government computer systems and networks. In the days leading up to the beginning of Russia's kinetic attack on Ukraine, a series of denial-of-service attacks targeted Ukraine's Ministry of Defense and other government agencies. And then, on the eve of the invasion, a pair of new wiper programs were spotted infecting and disabling computer systems within the country. Still, more than two weeks after the beginning of hostilities, many cybersecurity experts say that Russia has still not unleashed its most ferocious cyber offensive weapons, and that cyber attacks relatively have taken a backseat to old-fashioned bombs and bullets in Ukraine. Why is that, and what may be coming next as the conflict in Ukraine drags on? We invited Christian Sorensen into the studio. He's a former lead of the International Cyber Warfare Team at U.S. Cyber Command and CEO of the cybersecurity firm SiteGain. In this conversation, Christian and I talk about the conflict in Ukraine Ukraine, what may be coming next on the cyber warfare front, and what we've learned so far about Russia's cyber offensive capabilities. Hey, yeah, Christian Sorensen, currently CEO of a company named Sitegain. So Sitegain is a a software security firm that we help security leaders understand whether their technology, processes, and people are actually stopping the threats that they face. And we do that by testing them and then giving them recommendations on what to fix, as well as what what to invest in, where to invest, how to get better at uh, at stopping the threats that are out there and making sure that they're they're staying ahead of those threats as opposed to just trying to keep up with vulnerabilities. We had you in um, the studio, Christian, because you have, in a former life, before Sitegain, you were head of the International Cyber Warfare Team at U.S. Cybercom and obviously spent a lot of time in that capacity, preparing for just this type of situation, a hot war that these days has a cyber component to it. Um, So could you talk to us just a little bit about your work with U.S. Cybercom? Yeah, you bet. So there's a lot of uh, different aspects of what Cyber Command does. Um, And I I had the opportunity to touch on probably all all the different parts of it and, and really kind of focus on what we call operational planning. So those are the things that are happening or that we want to try to be prepared for within the next year to a week, right? Like, so all the way up from a year to, to a week away on different mission sets, right? So that could be anti-terrorism, that could be uh, different threat groups, that could be um, just defense writ large. Or um, in my case, I had the opportunity to spend a, spend a year working on the uh, Taliban threat and the uh, Al Qaeda threat in Afghanistan, right? So uh, deploying deploying into areas to help really understand at uh, at the ground level what's going on and how cyber can help um, change that and and impact that. Uh, I, so if you're the U.S. military right now, um, what are you what are you doing? What are the folks at U.S. Cyber Command up to right now as Russian military rolls across Ukraine uh, with the goal of obviously. Uh, 
decapitating the uh, government of that country and taking it over. So it always starts with policy, right? So that's just grand strategy of the country. What, what, a, what are we trying to achieve? And then within that regard, what can the military achieve? And then within the military, what can cyber contribute, right? I like to say that cyber can be creative, mm-hmm. but you don't want to be creative just for creativity's sake. Mm-hmm. It has to achieve goals and objectives that really kind of uh, lead to that overall uh, strategic outcome, strategic uh, policy that we're pursuing. So in that regard, you know, there's there's different things. Certainly, uh, the Taliban is a much different adversary than, than Russia is a much different adversary than, than Iran. So it's a matter of what are we trying to do, first and foremost, and then what are ways of doing that, and then how can um, cyber either achieve that or not, right? Being realistic with not only what we can do, um, but also what, what what's outside technically, what's technically outside uh, the capabilities, also what's non-advisable because of other implications or, or creating effects where you don't want them to be uh, 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 resident. Yeah, I mean, the example of that, the classic example, of course, of course is the uh, NotPetya uh, wiper malware that was uh, targeted at Ukraine, but obviously spilled well beyond Ukraine's borders and, and had huge impacts in, in Western Europe and the United States. Um, yeah. Okay, so in the in the days leading up to the actual kinetic attack on Ukraine, there were a number of seem to be pretty sizable attacks on the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense, on some uh, Ukrainian uh, government websites, including the Office of the President, you know, kind of denial of service attacks, that type of thing to take them offline. And then we heard that there was further a wiper malware attack against Ukrainian government agencies uh, that had taken place. From my perspective, just having covered cybersecurity for a bunch of years, the question for you is, that's what we've heard about. Is it your understanding or expectation that there's a lot of other cyber ops going on that we're not hearing about because they're really down in the weeds targeting specific defense capabilities or, or either just that it's the fog of war and there's just a lot of other stuff going on and we're not hearing about them? It's a good question. I, th- I think there's certainly things that we're not seeing, right? Um, and those can be... Uh, things that continue to prepare them to uh, affect other targets or um, just that we're not not seeing because it isn't visible yet, right? Like the things that we're seeing have an impact that's that's recognizable. The second thing I would say is that, you know, things aren't that severe yet, right? Like, you know, you compare this wiper that we saw today versus not Petra that we just talked about. Uh, wiper seems to, seems to be so far constrained to government uh, government systems or at least to Ukrainian systems, right? Um, so that's that's a difference and probably intentionally so, but it also says that they're they're getting more aggressive, but not yet using all, mm-hmm. of, all of their So there's a certain amount of restraint going on. In other words, that attack could have been much broader and could have targeted uh, entities outside of Ukraine, but it has to, not to date, today. Yes, right, and and uh, you know, kind of based on what what we assume or anticipate, it would be um, there would be other other activities that Russia could undertake. It's just a matter of you know their their calculus to how much do they want to escalate in, in that regard. I mean, they they have tanks inside the country. They have 
cities, key cities surrounded. So, you know, in that regard, how much uh, impact is cyber going to make and what's the, you know, the risk reward for them, you know, using new novel things that they haven't uh, and that they don't need to um, when they're already achieving again their, their strategic objectives through um, more traditional means. Now, there was a, a high expectation in the West that this attack, when it came, would also be accompanied with cyber attacks, not just against Ukraine, but also potentially against NATO countries in the West, um, including critical infrastructure, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in the U.S., put out this Shields Up program announcement to kind of get everybody to, you know, get their, their T's crossed and their I's dotted. Um we have not seen that to the best of my knowledge yet, but it, I guess, does this fall under the same rubric as what you just said, that um, those could be things that they, Russia has the capability of doing, but is holding off on doing for now? Or were those uh, warnings overblown? I think there's recognition on both sides that things could escalate, but but it's a matter of, does that make... Uh, sense to do so, right? So um, certainly um, there would be a bigger response if other countries were directly targeted, right? So I don't, I don't know that Russia wants a bigger response, but um, if, if it's, if it's warranted, you know, you, you, you kind of don't want to get into a tit, tit for tat sort of scenario because then uh, civilians are now impacted, right? That's, that's, definitely not the kind of road that either side wants to go down, but it, it is um, not not out of the realm of possibilities, right? It's it's something that could happen. Um, and, and uh, you know, prudence and preparation is is how to, uh, you know, deal with that, right? You, you want to prepare early and often and make sure that you're, you're not uh, hit when, when the time comes and taken down when you could have uh, avoided it. So, um, you know, uh, if you're a, if you're a, you know, large organization in, you know, the U S or Western Europe, you've gotten a lot of warnings from the federal government, from CISA, you know, et cetera, ISACs maybe about, you know, shoring up your network security, protecting against, you know, uh, attacks in a heightened threat environment. What is your sense about how responsive companies are to those types of entreaties and, and whether those types of you know, alerts and warnings from government agencies have much effect on the ground in terms of you know, companies actually you know, erecting barriers to compromise or closing off you know, points of entry and, and um, you know, hardening themselves to like phishing attacks and stuff like that? Um, do, do you see that they have much yes, effect? Yes, I would say... For those organizations that have security teams and, and security, you know, uh, focus, right? Like they have they have people, multiple people working on security and security alone. I think those organizations that are at that level are going to pay attention, are going to um, use the tools that are easy to use, and, and do do that, right? It's just a matter of having the cycles, having the time and attention to to be able to. Um, make the preparations that are necessary. So um, for those, for those, I think it is moving the needle. It's just um, if you're not there yet, right? You don't have uh, a lot of cycles to spend on security. Um, 
you're not you're you're not going to have additional cycles even if they're telling you to go go and, and do more stuff because it's it's you know there, there's nobody to do it right you don't you don't have the personnel to do it how would you know as an organization if you know government of russia might be a threat that you need to be concerned about um i guess if you're critical infrastructure, you can pretty much assume it, but or finding, you know, financial services, obviously that is critical yeah. infrastructure, but, um, is, is there a way to, to know who they're interested in? <laughs> is there a, a hit list or a, you know, something like that, that you yeah, can so refer certainly, to? Um, for organizations and companies that are, are part of industries with ISACs, ISACs are a great way to go and get some of that information and some of that perspective. Um, then likewise, for the larger companies, they have threat intelligence feeds that, that can um, suggest what which ones t- that they should be worried about uh, and the like, right? So um, it's just a matter of... Kind of you're, you're being tar- targeted. They're, yeah, they're, or this, you know, your industry. Talking about yeah, your you. your industry or, is being targeted, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. um, to be able to mm-hmm. kind of contend that way, yeah. The wiper malware that has been circulating in the last couple of days is called Hermetica, um, and it got its name, I think, from a stolen extended validation cert um, from some Cypriot game designer <laughs> that they're using to sign the malware. It's it's interesting. It was a signed malware executable with a with an EV cert. I guess that made it look a little bit less threatening. But can we assume that these things even today are, are still basically circulating the same old way via phishing emails, malicious attachments, that type of thing? Yes. Plus, plus other things like, um, you know, compromising websites and stuff. But I will say like, just analyzing even Russian techniques. Phishing is one of their most prevalent techniques that they use, um, and then that's a that's an entree in, right? That's that's the start. Um, so I would say yes and right, but uh, but it's definitely still a yes. You know, so this this invasion is happening. There's a there's a hot war now, a conflict, armed military conflict in Ukraine. So there's elevated risk, obviously elevated risk of of cyber attacks associated with this. Is there a point at which you can let your guard down with this, or is this just something that um, you know is now part of the threat landscape, and people just need to be on guard for the foreseeable future because of this, or, or is this going to be a, you know, risk is temporary around when the invasion happens, and then things are going to calm down? I think for right now, given kind of uh, you know pucker factor is pretty high for everybody, um, it, it's it's just going to stay elevated for. Kind of the duration of uh, the the invasion, right? We'll see what happens after that. We'll see how things play out. Um, if it continues to be, you know, we'll just have a sense of is it high and are there new techniques, right? Like so, so pucker factors high. What do you do? You 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 test against the techniques that are coming, right? Um, mm-hmm. Wiper as soon as that's available to test against, be testing against that. The new the new thing that's released tomorrow and the next day if the if that kind of drum beat continues you got to keep pace with the drum beat and, and that should be you know helpful in terms of ironing out is your technology catching this stuff right even before you have the tests available um, did your technology start to get a sense of um, stopping that is it responsive is it resilient uh, in the face of threats like wiper represents and, and to know that you're getting better at it to know that you're protected against it um, you know, the first time you test against it, uh, even if it's uh, even if it's not the first time, the next time that you test against it, are you protected? 
you mentioned kind of cyber resilience. So, you know, thinking beyond preventing or stopping attacks, which is great, but what do you recommend to organizations to facilitate recovery from, you know, successful attacks? The gist of it is to practice and know ahead of the attack, right? So first and foremost for like ransomware is having backups that are not connected and making sure that if this uh, computer that you're working on is wiped, that you have the ability to recover it to a known good state um, and then and then be able to press on with little to no disruption, right? So no disruption is harder, more expensive, um, but there are definitely solutions out there that can help with that. But um, yeah, follow those listed and not not after you get attacked, but before you get uh, get attacked, right? So that you know uh, things are working uh, before before you have to perform. You know, you were in U.S. Cyber Command. What do you think the conversations going on within U.S. Cyber Command are right now about what's happening in Ukraine and and what the response should be, and also what this means for U.S. cyber defense uh, in this new environment? I mean, I think a lot of people really look at this as a as the close of a chapter that maybe started back in 1989, you know, with the fall of the Berlin Wall and so on. And now we're in this, what seems to be a, a very new context. And, and I wonder what you think the conversations are like. So I think they'll pro- they're probably very similar to, to my perspective when I was there, which is we are witnessing history at the same time creating history, right? To the extent that we are humble enough to know what we can do and respect the limitations of that, but really understanding kind of our role and our opportunity as you know service members or, or civilians up at Cyber Command to do um, and protect the United States, right? That's what I've continued to hear from from folks that are serving up there is is uh, a little bit of um, kind of pinch yourself or awe that you're figuring this stuff out and then at the same time uh, helping to helping to uh, make an impact that that is um, as big as possible but not not uh, you know um, not making things up and making believe in terms of what what you could do I mean it strikes me too that this is probably one of the first armed conflicts by an adversary who has a full-fledged cyber, offensive capability um, yeah. against an adversary, Ukraine, who also, you know, has has some cyber capabilities of its own. And so if, if I had to guess, this is a, in some ways, I'm sure they're looking at what's going on very closely to kind of understand how cyber fits into the overall kind of military portfolio of Russia. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, and of the United States, right? And, and, it's not a great analogy, but you get the gist, spy versus spy, right? So <laughs> what we do, how you just, does that You just dated yourself what, there, pal. <laughs> yeah, what, what they do versus what you do and how does that, you know, yeah. uh, come back? Let me ask you a final question, which is, you know, the government has been trying over the last decade or more to, you know, kind of cajole private industry into upping its cyber defense, doing a better job. Obviously, the government also needs to improve its own cyber defenses. Um, do you think that this kind of new um, strategic reality in Europe is going to put more pressure on the U.S. government, CISA, DHS, and so on to take that task more seriously? Not to the extent that it that it's needed, right? So I think I think there has to be 
unfortunately, I think I think there's just going to be, you know, just the realities of bureaucracy, the realities of budgets, the realities of humans. There's going to have to be some more uh, big impacts yeah. felt, and then people um, will will take real action at that time. But um, what that is, and, and if we want to pay for it now, um, is a big is a big debate. So to the extent that organizations have the opportunity and means to do so now, they should. But on the national level, it's kind of kind of. Uh, Tilting at windmills a little bit in in terms of making pro- you making making progress, but not as much as is uh, going to be required. Right, Christian Sorensen of SiteGain, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger Podcast. You bet, Paul. My pleasure. Have a great day. Christian Sorensen is the CEO of the firm SiteGain. He was here to talk to us about the cyber war in Ukraine. 